So 49 weeks ago at Covenant, we began a journey. It was a year-long journey that we have called Living the Liturgical Year. And while we have been on this journey, which is almost complete, we've got three weeks left in this, um, in this time, uh, we've been guided as part of that on Sunday mornings by our lectionary texts that are assigned by the church. So no sermon series for a year. We've been guided by the uh, lectionary texts that come from the church. And 49 weeks ago when we began this journey, we said one of the several uh, advantages that we saw is that it would allow for, that's coded for force, the preachers to deal with texts that we wouldn't normally choose to deal with, that we would pick something else if uh, left to our own devices. Maybe verses of the Bible we would just assume not preach on. Maybe whole books of the Bible that we haven't preached on before. And today is an example of that. <laughs> because we are talking about the Old Testament book of Haggai. Now, if someone had asked me a year ago, Thomas, what are the percentage chances you're going to preach a sermon on the book of Haggai? I would have said they lay somewhere between 0% and 0%. Somewhere right in the middle of those two numbers right there. Uh, the book of Haggai is something that I can honestly tell you I knew very little about. I don't remember studying it in seminary. Maybe we did, but it wasn't certainly a huge point of emphasis. I don't remember ever hearing a sermon on it. I don't know that I've ever preached a sermon on it that I can remember. I've never heard a Bible study on it. I've never seen a little quote in somebody's house from the book of Haggai. You know, like, as for me and my house, we'll follow the Lord. There's nothing in here that you're going to, like, put on your home. I can't remember ever dealing with the book of Haggai before. But about six weeks ago, as I was looking at the liturgical, at the lectionary text for today, uh, I was looking at the different options there, and the passage we're about to read sort of captured me. And so I started reading a little bit about it, and then reading a little bit about the book of Haggai. And I have got to tell you all, and I'm not joking when I say this, I am fascinated by this little book. I am absolutely fascinated by this little book. It is. It is like, I mean, it was written 2,500 years ago in Jerusalem, and you would think that Haggai was writing about our day and age today. If you are a person who basically believes that every generation human beings are just getting a little bit better and a little bit better, today is going to rock your world. <laughs> because this is describing us. It is challenging, it is relevant. And it is incredibly inspiring, this little book. And so I invite you to listen with open minds and open hearts as we read our lectionary text from today, from the book of Haggai, starting with chapter 1, verse 15b, because Haggai is not strange enough on its own. We're starting with 15b to 2.9. This is what it says. In the second year of King Darius... In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Is it not in your sight as nothing? Yet now take courage, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Take courage, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Take courage, all you people of the land, says the Lord. 
Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the promise that I made you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit abides among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once again, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with splendor, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give prosperity, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that no matter who we are or how we gather and worship today, that we would experience your gospel, your good news, and it would change us forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So when I went out on a limb here, uh, kind of being transparent with you all and saying that I would not be considered uh, necessarily someone who has just spent lots of time in the book of Haggai, uh, my guess is I'm not the only one in this room today that we could say that about. I mean, there might be some of you, but my guess is not every single person here is like, no, I've done a deep dive into Haggai, and I've just kind of immersed myself for months in the words and the verses and kind of all that it means. So for those of you who are more like me going, I'm probably not as familiar with this book as like the Gospel of Luke, um, then what we're going to do is I'm going to give you a little background and context on it, because to get some insights from it, we got to know where Haggai is speaking from and the time he's speaking in, okay? So we're going to have four points that are going to come up on the screens one by one, and it's just going to give us a little way to set the scripture for today. So we're going to bring up number one. Now, first thing that we need to know about this is what we're calling Exodus and Exile. Now, in the book of Genesis, once you get beyond the covenant coming to, to God's people, uh, to, through Abraham, really what we need to understand is there's two sort of seminal events in the Old Testament, two events that kind of a lot of the Old Testament revolves around one of these two events. The first is the Exodus. The Exodus, of course, where the people are enslaved in Egypt, and then after 500 years of crying out to God, God sends Moses to them, delivers them through the Red Sea. Uh, they are delivered from the armies of Pharaoh. They go into the wilderness. They're given the Torah, uh, and 40 years later, they cross into the Promised Land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The Exodus is one of these seminal kind of cornerstone events that so much of the Old Testament needs to be seen and understood through. The second is the exile. The exile happens in around 600 years before the birth of Christ. And the exile takes place when the Persian Empire uh, conquered so much of the world at that time. And they included Judah and Israel. And in right after 600 BC, they uh, destroyed the Persian armies, destroyed Jerusalem. And they took the leaders of Jerusalem. If you were part of this church a year ago, you might remember from Nehemiah and the rebuild series that we did, uh, took the leading people in Jewish society. And they did this from a lot of different uh, areas that they conquered, leading thinkers, leading politicians, leading priests, leading architects, whoever. And they forced them to leave Jerusalem and to go back to Babylon and to serve the Babylonian empire. For a couple of generations, they were there. About 60 years, they were there. And so the people of Jerusalem who were left were left in a city in ruins, a country in ruins, and your leadership had been taken. But after about 60 years, after a generation or two, those who had been forcibly left, the diaspora, the scattered ones, they were able to return to Jerusalem. 
back to the promised land. These two events, both of which are important in this passage we just read, are kind of foundational cornerstone events in the Old Testament and in the story of God's people. So we need to know that. Number two. This is written about 520 BC. And the way we know that is because it talks about the reign of King Darius. Now, King Darius, we know from history, uh, it, it start, was, was, came in about 520, and it says this is the second year of the reign of King Darius. And so what we see here is that this was written, and for our sakes, the reason 520 is important is 520 was about 20 years after the exiles had returned from Babylon. So again, if you think about Nehemiah, we read about how the people returned and they were going to rebuild the wall and rebuild the city. This is like a generation later. This is about 20 years later. And this is God through Haggai saying to the people of Israel, how has the rebuild gone? Okay, so you're about 20 years into the rebuild of Jerusalem. That's important. Number three. There's joint Persian and Jewish leadership here. And that is important because in a word and a term we would use today, it meant the people that Haggai was talking to had agency. King Darius is Persian. The Persian Empire is still in control. But the other two names listed here, the high priest and the governor, are both Jewish. Which means that the way the Persians were ruling at the time was that local areas had a lot of autonomy. And so what Haggai is saying to the people is you've made choices that you had control over. It's not imposed upon you. You had choices about how to rebuild and build your life. And so the fact that there's shared leadership is important because it's reflecting on the choices that are made. And last, and this is critically important for us to understand, in the first chapter of Haggai, what we see is that the rebuild that's about 20 years old has focused, Haggai says, on the homes and the businesses of the people. Now, you might see that and go, well, that makes sense. You know, the city's destroyed. Uh, people have just returned, some of whom had never lived in Jerusalem before, but they had heard about it from their parents or grandparents who had been forcibly taken. And the first thing you've got to have is a home, a place to live. So that makes sense. Second thing you've got to have is a business, a way to provide. That makes sense. But this isn't six months in. This is 20 years after the people have returned. And what Haggai is saying is that for 20 years, you have focused on your individual lives. You have focused on your homes. You have focused on your businesses. But the implication that's here, when in the passage we read Haggai talking about the house that has not been rebuilt, is the temple. The temple which lies at the core and at the heart of the Jewish faith, the temple that lay at the heart of the city, what Haggai is saying is that you have focused on yourselves, you have focused on rebuilding your homes, you have focused on rebuilding your businesses, but what you haven't focused on is rebuilding the temple. It's not a priority. It's not important to you. You're not paying attention to it. Now, to be clear, this is not Haggai just being an old grumpy person, being like, well, I remember when my youth that the temple was a good thing and it should be a good thing. It's not what it is. It's not just like an old curmudgeon. You've got to put yourself in the place of the Jewish people at the time. The temple in Jerusalem was the very dwelling place of God. And so when the people are not focused on rebuilding the temple, the spiritual implication of that is... You are not focused on God being with you. You are not focused on God's presence among you. It is not important to you, as Richard Foster says, to practice the presence of God anymore. And when you make that kind of choice over time, there are consequences to it. There are things that start to come alive in you when you focus on the individual self and our individual bubbles versus the temple. 
to understand the implications, because we just read a lot of scripture uh, that was there, I want us to go back and we're going to reread two verses of Haggai chapter 2, what we just read, verses 4 and 5, because I think this gets at the very heart of what happens when the people have ignored the temple and only focused on their homes and their businesses, okay? So we're going to bring this back up here, verses 4 and 5, and this is the heart of what Haggai is saying, of what has, has uh, developed over 20 years. It says this, Yet now take courage, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Take courage, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Take courage, all you people of the land, says the Lord. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the promise that I made you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit abides among you. Do not fear. What has happened among the people is that their individual preoccupation with self has led to a rising tide of that base human emotion, which all of us have, but it is rising to levels that are causing problems in their society, which is the emotion, the reality of fear. The presence of fear. And I think about this is a unique kind of fear that Haggai is talking about, because it's a fear that comes out, and maybe many kinds of fear come out this way, from the idea that we have chosen to believe we're alone, to believe we're self-sufficient, to believe and ignore the presence of God in our lives, that ignoring that presence, that rebuilding the homes and the businesses but not the temple leads to a kind of fear that can only be known when you believe you're by yourself. A fear of, do I have enough? Have I provided enough? What does Rockefeller say? How much money is enough? Just a little bit more. <laughs> Have I got enough status? How do I compare to those around me? How do my children compare to those around me? How do my grandchildren compare to those around me? Fear of others. Fear of ideas that are different than my own because I know what's right for me. Fear of people that are different think differently, look differently, fear of an uncertain future. What Haggai is saying to the people is that in the choices you've made to rebuild your homes, to rebuild your businesses, to ignore the presence of God, you have chosen a path that leads to a rising tide of fear. And that should get all of us to pay attention. Because if you change the terminology just a little bit and put this in front of an academic group at a place like UT Austin or any other uh, university, they would go, oh yeah, that describes Austin, Texas today. Yeah, yeah, that describes the United States of America today. That's not, I'm not making like a, a, an opinion. That's what sociologists tell us is happening in our culture today. Sociologists tell us over and over again, if you want to know the defining characteristic of life in contemporary Western culture, if you want to know what our society in many ways has developed to a point that is built upon, whether you agree with it or not, like it or not, this is what it is. It is an extreme form of individuality. It is my life. It is my truth. It is my path. It is my career. It is my goals. It is my kids. Well, this is what the experts are saying to us. Well, I don't believe that. Nobody can tell me what I'm going to think. We have a culture that has developed an extreme form of individuality. And we have to ask ourselves the question, if we, using the language here, have focused for many years now on rebuilding our homes and on building up our careers and our businesses, and certainly I think we can agree that we've ignored the temple. 
as a society, we have to ask ourselves a question which is very base and fundamental and most people don't ask, is, is it working? Are we happier as a people than we were a generation ago or two? Are we more content? Are we more joyful? Are we more unified? Are we more at peace with ourselves? Are we more at peace with one another? Are we more living in kind of kumbaya and harmony as if like no humanity's ever known before? Is that the reality of me focusing on me and my platform and my bubble and my life? Science, again, would say, no. We are not more joyful. We are not more content. We are not more fulfilled. What are we more, science is telling us? We are more fearful. There is rising tides of anxiety, of depression, of addiction, of fear of the other, of fear of ideas that are different from our own. There is a lot of blame going around of the others who are causing the problem. And there is a rising tide of pessimism about uh, the state of things today and about the future that is unique to generations today. You can take Haggai and what Haggai is talking about 2,500 years ago in Jerusalem and you could put it in front of us today and it's like, yep, that's us. Rising individuality that leads to a unique kind of fear. Yep, that's what we are. And that's what's happening. It is staggering when you stop and think about it, how human beings on a different continent, different culture, different language have just come full circle. And it's like, yep, that's us. No, 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 we're moving. Every generation's getting a little better. 2,500 years ago, what Haggai's saying is right. It's deeply relevant. Now, some of you may be sitting there going, I thought you said you liked this book. This is not fun. This is depressing. This is not what I want to be thinking about on a Sunday morning. Can we turn this in any kind of direction? And the answer, of course, is yes, right here in this text. Haggai is saying to the people of God right here in this text, you can be different. He's saying to you and I today, you all can be different. You don't have to live in a state of fear. You don't have to fall for the clickbait online as the midterm election. There's so little substance out there, it is meant to drive our fear. What is happening? You don't need to live that way. Haggai saying you can be a, a people that live in the text we just read, encouraged. That means you can stand in a state of courage. You can be an encouraging presence in a culture of fear. You can stand out as different. You can live differently than a baseline of fear. Why? Because you're better, because you're smarter, because you know more? No. Because just like what Haggai says to the people, you all have the opportunity to remember you're not by yourselves. You're not alone. You're not alone. We're not alone. I'm not alone. You're not alone. We as a people are not alone in what's taking place. Haggai's saying that you can understand that so much of the root of fear lies in the idea that we are alone and the anger and the rage and the outrage that comes from that is that base place of believing we're by ourselves. We're not. And the God who is with us is not a God that just is a little token God, a little trinket God, but our God is a God of the exodus who brings people out of slavery into a land flowing with milk and honey. That God, Haggai's saying, is with you. And practicing and remembering the presence of that God, rebuilding the temple, drives out fear and allows us to be a people of courage. 
Imagine what that might mean for us today. Here. Today. I was reminded of the power of that a few weeks ago by a member of this church. A member of this church who has been a, a, a member here for a long time, a, a really amazing uh, human being and an amazing woman who invited me to come to her house uh, as she is in the last days of her earthly journey. A longtime member of this church who invited me as she is under hospice care to come and to meet with her and to meet with some of her family. And we had a chance to share and to, to pray together. It was holy and sacred work. And she's given me permission to share something about that conversation with us today. As I was there and we were talking about different things and reflecting on different things, I asked her, as you are under hospice care, as this earthly journey is closer certainly to the end than to the beginning, how are you doing? This is a question, death is something that most of us avoid and put off and don't wanna think about most of our lives, but when we're faced with it, it, it it's amazing what it can bring up. And I asked just how, how are you doing in the midst of this? And she said, well, Overall, I'm very calm. I'm, I'm very peaceful. There's moments when I'm not, but I, I'm very calm and I'm very peaceful. And she said, you know, the thing that I've been thinking about more and more and more is, are some words that I heard. Some words that I heard that when I feel anxious or when I feel nervous or when I see the unknown and all that, it, it, it brings me back to this place of calm. It's these words uh, that I'd, I'd like to say them uh, here now. And I said, no, you don't have to repeat my sermon to me. It's, it's okay. I appreciate that. You don't, you don't have to quote me. It's okay. She said and told me about a time when she was a young adult. One night, sitting in her bed, reading her Bible. She said to me over and over again, this didn't happen to me before, it didn't happen to me afterwards, I don't want you to think. I said, no, I, I'm, it's okay. What? She said, I was sitting there reading my Bible in my bed, and I heard a voice. It filled up my bedroom. It's a voice like we are talking now. And the voice said to me, are you Okay. She said, so I answered the voice out loud. Yes, I am okay. She said, there was this long silence. My Bible's still open before me, but I knew that that presence was still in the room, and so I said out loud, I've just been reading. It's all about love, isn't it? It's all about your love. And she said, the voice responded back, Yes, it is. It's all about love. It's all about my love. It's all about my love for you. She said, as a young adult sitting in my bedroom by myself, hearing a voice like that should have been unsettling. It should have caused fear. And she said, the moment I heard the voice, however, this deep peace and calm just washed over me. She said, decades and decades and decades later, as I walk the journey in which I find myself now, if I get anxious, if I get worried, if I feel fear, I can go back to that voice that happened so long ago, and that same calm overwhelms me. What drives out fear, Haggai is saying, is practicing and remembering that you and I are not 
alone. Because we too are like the people of Jerusalem of old, aren't we? We live in an age that is consumed and preoccupied with ourselves, with our homes, with our businesses, with our lives, with our bubbles, with our children, with our grandchildren, with our dreams, with our goals. And like the people of Jerusalem of old, we are a people who know the resulting yield of those seeds, which is a a, a harvest of fear, a harvest of loneliness, a harvest of pessimism, a harvest of isolation, a harvest of worry and preoccupation about what comes next and what lies ahead. And so may we this day be encouraged by the words of Haggai, because we're not alone. Because the God that spoke through Haggai so long ago, 2,500 years ago, is still with us and saying to us, you're not by yourselves. The God who brought the people out of the Exodus, who brought them out of slavery after 500 years of misery, who brought them through the Red Sea and who saw the armies of Pharaoh swallowed up by the waters, to those people who were God was with, he led them through the wilderness into a land flowing with milk and honey, into the promised land. That God is with you. A God who brings people back from exile, who starts a new chapter in the life of the people of Jerusalem. That God is with you. A God who brings Jesus back from the dead, who has transformed a Roman torture device into a device where we see hope and salvation and the power of love and the power of grace, that that one is with us today. The one who through the centuries has called ordinary women and men to stand for something bigger than themselves, to stand for truth and for justice, to stand for grace and love in this world, that that one is with you today. Be encouraged in the midst of this culture of fear because not one of us in this room is by themselves. Not one of us is alone. Be encouraged because of the one who stands with you and will never leave your side. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. We ask, Lord, that in this day and age of fear and isolation that you would make us a people of courage who are encouraged and encouraging of others because we remember that we are yours, that you are with us. Breathe your courage into us today. We pray this in Jesus' name, the one who is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.